I'm Jason Mitchell, co-head of Responsible Investment at Man Group. You're listening to Perspectives Toward a Sustainable Future, a podcast about what we're doing today to build a more sustainable world tomorrow. Just how long is the long term? We tend to think of the long term in terms of years, decades, even lifetimes when it comes to our pension funds. We know what it means intuitively because it's distinct from something like short-termism that emphasizes immediate gains at its expense. But what about the real long term? I mean the one measured not by years or decades or by lifetimes, but by centuries. The one that sustains governments, institutions, and even endowment funds. Does or should sustainable investing mean something different, say, for an academic endowment fund that faces constant withdrawal pressure to support research, educational programs, and financial aid that's critical to so many students? Well, academic endowment funds don't get any bigger than Harvard's, which makes it a great proxy to understand just how endowment funds are approaching the world of responsible investment. So, I sat down with Michael Capucci to discuss Harvard's growing involvement and leadership among endowment funds in this area. Michael is Senior Vice President at Harvard Management Company, Harvard University's endowment fund. He manages Harvard's sustainable investment program, as well as being part of the legal and compliance group that supports Harvard's generalist investment team. He also serves on the PRI's hedge fund and private equity advisory committees. At more than $37 billion, Harvard Management Company is the largest academic endowment in the world. Contributions from the Harvard Endowment Fund have enabled industry-leading financial aid programs, groundbreaking discoveries in scientific research, and hundreds of professorships across a wide range of academic fields. Welcome to the show, Michael. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. So I want to start out with you and your backstory. Um, just given the fact that you come from a legal background, what brought you into the investment world and more specifically, what brought you into the sustainable investment world? That's a question I get fairly frequently. It's not an obvious connection between being a corporate lawyer and being an ESG professional. So I've been at HMC for about six years. My original role was as one of the lead attorneys supporting our internal trading operation. About three years ago, we went through a period of uh, significant change. Around that time, there was an opening for a new uh, vice president of sustainability at HMC. Uh, that, that responsibility currently lives in our uh, legal and compliance group. Um, a, a lot of places, that's more of an investment function. But at HMC, we started our sustainability program uh, around the same time the decision was made to become the first uh, U U.S. university to become a signatory to the UNPRI. When we looked at that, there are a lot of uh, reporting and compliance obligations just wrapped up with being a signatory. Uh, and also at the same time, before that, ESG risk was really seen as more of a legal risk function. So at the time, it made a lot of sense for sustainability to live in our legal and compliance group. As that has grown over time, there's been some thought of moving it out. But uh, at least at the moment, uh, it's one of the core functions we perform on our legal and compliance team. Great, great. So I want to I want to pause here for for one second um, because as I said HMC is an endowment fund um, which brings with it certain properties. Could you for the audience sort of describe what being an endowment fund means and how it's different from uh, a pension fund, for instance? Yeah, so one of the really big challenges of managing an endowment is we have to manage both for the short term and for the long term. 
As you mentioned, the university is subject to uh, many, many short-term funding needs, including for research and financial aid. Uh, currently, Harvard depends uh, on disbursements for, for, from the endowment for just under 40% of its annual budget, which is um, just short of $2 billion a year. I think it's between $1.7 and, uh, and $1.8 billion a year. That, that is a, a significant amount of uh, fairly short-term uh, funding requirements that come from the endowment. Now, at the same time, it's also seen as a p- permanent cool, uh, pool of capital that uh, will be relied on for future generations. Our mission at HMC is to try to invest those funds on a proper risk-adjusted return to help the university support its short-term financing needs, as well as to grow it in the future. It's interesting. So on one hand, you'd think that sustainability, sustainable investment, um, whether you formally call it that or something else, is you know effectively inherent um, it, it's an inherent part of, of Harvard's culture and process because, again, you've got to manage for the short term with a very, very long-term outlook with a lot of this funding pressure, um, as we said, for, for research, for uh, financial aid. Um, do you think that sustainability means something different? What does it mean mechanically in the way that you manage, for instance, your managers? I, I think mechanically it means a lot of the same sorts of things. Um, it's a way of applying certain risk factors and opportunity sets to the relevant time frame for whatever investment you're making. A lot of the investments we make are in alternative assets that have uh, 7, 10, even 15-year time frames. The way we look at ESG is it's a lens to look at the risks and opportunities that apply to those uh, investments. Uh, And we feel that as smart investors, we want to look at the broadest set of risks and opportunities that may be applicable and we would expect our external managers to look at risks and opportunities the same way. I think those are a lot of the similar sorts of ideas that uh, I see our external managers looking at, and I see our peers in the asset owner community in pension plans and other folks who care a lot about sustainability and ESG looking at as well. Got it. Um, I saw in one of the uh, documents for HMC that HMC talks about the endowment quote, fundamentally as an economic resource, not necessarily as a lever to advance political positions or to exert economic pressure for social purposes. I guess what's interesting relative to that definition is that if you look at the last decade, finance as a whole is becoming more of an actor with preferences around the social dimension and the environmental dimension. Does that definition restrict HMC's ability um, to affect change in in the social or environmental uh, dimension? Does it uh, restrict its ability to collaborate with other investors for a positive impact, so to speak? We don't think so. Uh, We see managing our uh, investments uh, along an ESG dimension is a really central part of our fiduciary duty to the university. If you take a big step back, what does that mean? That means putting the university's economic interests and values ahead of our own. Uh, So we actually use that as a catalyst in our uh, external engagements. Over the last several years, uh, we've focused, uh, for purposes of our external engagements, on issues around uh, long-term environmental impact, such as uh, climate change. Um, As stewards for the university's assets, we're expected to invest them in the best interest of the university. Uh, Similarly, we expect our external managers to have that same sense of fiduciary duty and ultimately the underlying operating companies to operate in the same manner. So one of the uh, uh, collaborations that we participated in was around corporate climate change lobbying. 
that was an effort that was focused on targeting uh, primarily public companies that would publicly make statements in support of climate change research and other issues, but then behind the scenes lobby in Washington and elsewhere uh, against those measures. Um, we believe, um, and this was the uh, conclusion of the collaboration, that companies do not have to engage politically on issues like climate change, but if they do, they should do so in a responsible manner and support effective climate change uh, action and regulation. So um, we see that as really uh, well integrated uh, in what we're trying to achieve in our sustainable investing program. Why is HMC, why is Harvard unique in this respect? Um, I don't, frankly, see a lot of endowment funds that are as prominent as HMC, for instance, within the Principles for Responsible Investment. I don't see them on a lot of advisory committees, you know, like the ones that you participate in. What is it about HMC's culture um, that uh, allows it to take this kind of risk, in a sense? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I'm not sure how much of it is cultural and how much how much of it is just the scale. Uh, the fact that we are the biggest endowment that does put us into a little bit of a bigger tax bracket, so to speak. Uh, so on, on a lot of these issues, we see our peers not so much as other endowments, but as other uh, pension plans and other asset owners. Um, in, in that sense, we're much less unique. Uh, I, I feel like um, within uh, at least the U.S. Uh, asset owner uh, community, it's really been the public pensions that have taken the lead on a lot of these issues and the rest of us trying to play catch up. How does Harvard think about the idea of divestment, um, not just exclusion, but actual divestment of certain sectors? You know, I note that um, Kat Taylor, one of Harvard's uh, 32 member board of overseers, was in the news recently calling for uh, HMC or Harvard to divest from fossil fuel stocks. It's a move that we've seen um, replicated at other universities. But how how does Harvard weigh the positives and the negatives in making that decision? Yeah, I've got a great deal of respect for Kat and what she's trying to accomplish. Uh, as she well knows, this discussion is not uh, being had in isolation. Uh, the, the broader issue of divestment is something that Harvard has been thinking about and weighing in on for over 40 years. The history actually goes back to President Derek Bach, who was the president of the university in the 1970s. He outlined the reasons why universities should be very, very cautious about weighing in on political issues, including through um, the use of its endowment. Um, among other things, it stifles uh, the freedom of thought on campus. Uh, it can get a lot of negative uh, attention, which is especially important at a university that relies on uh, grants and other funding sources like that. Uh, and it can distract resources from other parts of the university. In the 1980s, um, Harvard did take action to divest from certain companies that worked with the apartheid uh, regime in South Africa. Um, somewhat more recently, we made a choice to divest from companies that produce tobacco products and then companies that are active in the Darfur region of Sudan. In 2013, Harvard President Drew Faust came out with a public statement addressing concerns around climate change and fossil fuels. I think she wrote quite elegant, eloquently on the topic, um, basically reiterating a lot of the same points that President Bach made, and also pointing out that as a consumer of fossil fuel products, including for uh, electricity and heat and energy, um, it would be somewhat contradictory for Harvard to take a uh, contrary position in its investments. Uh, so at that time in 2013, they announced that they would be contributing um, more uh, resources to Harvard's own sustainability uh, program on campus, 
Uh, they've set a number of very aggressive goals, uh, many of which uh, they've achieved ahead of time. Uh, and at the same time, HMC would be spending more resources furthering its ESG efforts. And it was that announcement in 2013 that indirectly <laughs> led to me sitting here with you today. <laughs> So talk to me about the role of engagement for HMC, either directly or collaboratively, or maybe, you know, setting a higher um, baseline uh, in terms of expectations for your external managers engaging with companies. Is that an area that um, is becoming more interesting, um, uh, you know, as you develop your sustainable investment program? So we are strong believers in engagement at HMC. We think the evidence that's out there overwhelmingly supports the idea that engagement is a much more effective strategy than divestment. When you make a public uh, decision to divest from either a company or an industry, that's kind of the end of the conversation in a lot of ways. Uh, you've chosen uh, not to pursue something. And the flip side to that is those companies are not going to talk to you about improving their practices. Uh, there's lots and lots of evidence uh, that engagement can be very effective in improving the incentives and performance of uh, companies on a number of different factors, including things like ESG. Uh, so we take uh, that very seriously. Given our limited resources, there's only so many engagements that we're able to take on at one time. Um, but we, we do believe, uh, given our current focus, that collaborative engagements are the most effective way for us to, to do that. So in addition to the engagement on corporate climate change lobbying I mentioned before, we're currently involved with an engagement around uh, meth methane emission reduction. Uh, and we are the code lead sponsors uh, in two engagements with uh, large U.S. oil producers. Um, we, we found that those are much more productive conversations when you come at it from a much more um, mutually conducive perspective than as somebody who has declared a whole industry evil and off limits. One of the really exciting things about sustainable investments and responsible investment is the innovation taking place, uh, particularly in terms of frameworks. Uh, we've seen a number of frameworks on the climate side. Uh, we've seen the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, more recently, we've seen the PRI announce the Just Transition, um, as well as uh, the TCFD in terms of uh, determining climate risk. But at times, all that innovation can feel to some degree overwhelming for managers and asset owners alike. So I'm wondering how HMC, you know, as an endowment fund, um, tends to sort of reconcile their long-term outlook with the emergence of a lot of topical, new, and sometimes untested frameworks. Um, how do you choose which ones are the most applicable? So I think you said it well. This is a time of a, a lot of innovation in the area of sustainable investing. We struggle, just like everybody else, to keep up with all the different initiatives that are going on. Uh, we became a signatory to the UNPRI in 2014. Uh, we feel like that's an organization that will be around for the long term. We haven't limited ourselves to that. We are certainly tracking and following uh, as many of these things as we can, including the UN Sustainable Development Goals. We tend to take a more cautionary approach to adopting new frameworks than uh, some of the other folks in the uh, sustainable in investment community. Uh, we do have the benefit of not having to spend a lot of time fundraising and dealing with uh, retail and other uh, clients that have a, a broad uh, array of interests. Um, so that, that, that does help keep us very focused on our, our mission to the university um, in trying to achieve our long-term goals. Yeah, I think it's actually worth unpicking it a little bit more in the sense that, uh, I mean, you find that very large pension funds, CalPERS, for instance, or CalSTRS, um, have become 
very strong, um, very visible proponents of, for instance, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, you know, and, and that value seems to run aligned with the values of their beneficiaries. Um, but how how is that different from an HMC perspective when you don't have you know those values of an underlying uh, of those underlying beneficiaries? You know, as a pension fund. So I think you touch on an important topic, which is especially from the asset owner community, uh, we do come from a a, a very wide array of um, beneficiaries and interests and goals. Uh, Again, our mission is to support the the long-term interests of Harvard University, uh, hopefully lasting in perpetuity. Um, An organization like CalPERS or CalSTRS, their goals are mostly focused on meeting the needs of their current beneficiaries and uh, future beneficiaries, which are measured in years and decades uh, not centuries uh, like Harvard. Um, th- that said, I, I think we are aligned with them on a, a lot of these issues. I, I know, for instance, Cal Sturz has been an, an outspoken proponent of uh, diversity in the asset management industry. I, I think that's something that uh, we uh, also believe in, um, and it, it's something that the whole industry can do a better job of uh, improving. So you are on two advisory committees uh, for the Principles of Responsible Investment, PRI. Um, you're on the Private Equity Advisory Committee, and uh, which coincidentally you just presented at a conference today in London, and you're also on the Hedge Fund Advisory Committee. Um, so within that sort of sphere of alternatives, do you find you know engaging or being involved on the hedge fund front, which often has, you know, a pejorative feel to it, um, certainly a short-term feel to it. Um, is it difficult to reconcile? Do you have problems sort of truing up, you know, that short-termism with the long-term uh, objectives of HMC? So there's a, a different set of issues that apply to different asset classes. Uh, so as you mentioned, uh, we're at a, a private equity conference today. I think in private equity, it's an industry uh, or asset class uh, that is incredibly well tailored to issues around sustainability in ESG, Uh, especially in the buyout private equity side. These are managers that are investing for the relatively long term, usually five to 10 years, and that have a significant ability to influence the direction of the companies uh, through control at the board of directors. When you look at hedge funds, uh, it's very easy to use the term hedge fund um, to mean something. Really, it's a legal structure that describes a, a whole set of different asset classes. Um, we try to take as tailored approach as we can, at least at HMC. Um, so if we're dealing with a manager that is a, uh, doing equity long short, uh, that measures its holding period in years, we would expect that manager to consider relevant ESG issues. If we're dealing with a quantitative manager that measures its holding period in microseconds, uh, a, a lot of those ESG factors um, may not be as relevant. Um, although I, I think there is, uh, it, as uh, you've done a lot of work in this area, uh, increasing focus in, uh, from the quant community on ESG data uh, as a potential uh, source of alpha uh, and its ability to uh, convey meaningful signals. Um, and more and more we hear uh, about managers who are looking uh, pretty critically uh, at the ESG area. So I, I personally find that to be a, a very exciting area of research. What's particularly impressed you among um, the alternatives? Uh, and I mean, whether they be hedge funds or on the quant side um, in terms of integrating ESG, um, has it been a uh, sort of an innovative way of how they've looked at ESG data, whether it be structured or unstructured? 
So one of the challenges as an asset owner is uh, getting full transparency into the methods that uh, our managers use. Um, so while we've had a number of these conversations uh, at a high level, it's often hard to tease down to exactly figure out uh, how these managers are using the, the data uh, at the actual trading and execution level. Um, the area that continues to get the most attention, I think, is still the governance area. Um, so that this is less of a kind of technical issue, um, but there are a, a number of managers, some in the Harvard uh, portfolio, some aren't, um, that have really taken a, a lead publicly um, in, in, in terms of um, uh, speaking out and writing on the topic um, and then also engaging directly with companies on improving the governance practices of uh, public companies. Um, th th that is not a new trend that's been going on at least 30 years. Um, I, I continue to... I, I get the sense that the area can, continues to get um, a lot of attention uh, and gets more and more sophisticated over time. Yeah. This is a great segue for a paper that you've got coming out in the Journal of Applied Corporate Finance fairly shortly. So uh, before we go into that paper, why don't you give us a, a sense of um, what you're teasing out uh, in terms of the ESG integration among managers? Yeah, so this is something I'm really excited about. Um, it, the inspiration was some of, frankly, just the desktop research I, I did as I uh, took over responsibility on our ESG team. I was trying to figure out what is ESG? How are folks using it in an effective way to drive value? And I, I kept coming across all this survey data. And um, so that there's, as you can imagine, lots and lots of surveys have been done and lots of published results. Uh, consistently, I have found that if you ask a, a mainstream investment manager, does ESG add value? Uh, roughly 80 to 90% of mainstream asset managers say yes, uh, ESG, ESG drives data. Then you ask the follow-up question, what type of ESG uh, implementation is the best or most effective? Uh, again, overwhelmingly, um, roughly 60% uh, answer full ESG integration. Um, so th that is over choices like uh, thematic investing, um, opportunistic selection, negative selection. Um, Again and again, you see the result that full ESG integration comes out as the, as the top choice. So if you look at those two results, you know, one, ESG drives value, and two, the best way to do it is through full integration. You would expect that many, if not most, of those same managers would be pursuing the strategy of full integration, uh, ESG integration. In fact, when you ask that question, do you uh, at your firm uh, fully integrate ESG in your investment analysis, the answer overwhelmingly comes back, no. Uh, Roughly, again, only about 20% of managers uh, in the full marketplace uh, seek to fully integrate ESG in their investment analysis. So to, to me, that's a real paradox, right? You, you see a majority of managers uh, recognize that this particular strategy is effective, but only a small portion uh, of them are pursuing it. So what are the rest doing? And is that adding to the value proposition or not? So that, that's the issue I explore in my paper. Yeah, this is the uh, ergo, the... Uh ESG integration paradox, which basically is there uh, isn't a linear relationship between the efforts to integrate ESG and risk-adjusted performance. Yeah. Are there notes of optimism when you look at the types of managers that are more willing to uh, deeply integrate ESG? I, I think the results are all over the map. It really depends on the individual firm, uh, what their priorities are, and what the uh, beliefs are of their uh, founder or, or leader in that regard. Um, so we're a mainstream manager. We, we don't have a requirement that all of our external managers have to be uh, signatory to the PRI or subscribe to some criteria. Um, so our, our managers really run the gamut, gamut 
Uh, and we've seen uh, very, very effective managers employ ESG strategies and very, very effective managers who do not employ ESG strategies. Um, what we're trying to do is make sure uh, that uh, as much as possible, we and our managers are internal, internalizing uh, the ESG risks that we think may be relevant to our investments. What advice would you give to uh, investors, managers, for instance, out there who are thinking about in, uh, integrating ESG? You know, it feels like there's a very broad spectrum um, between simply reporting your ESG scores, which have, frankly, a, uh, sometimes a very low predictive quality to them, um, to you know the the more extreme side, really developing interesting proprietary um, analytics uh, around ESG data. So I guess I would have two pieces of advice, which are not necessarily compatible. Um, the, the first one is for managers who may be a little bit skeptical or are uh, less willing to jump full on into ESG, I would say just focus on one thing. Uh, look for what are the most material issues to the strategy or types of investments you're making. We firmly believe that just about every investment has some ESG component uh, to it. Uh, figure out what that is and then uh, try to uh, understand it as best you can in order to mitigate that risk or seize the opportunity. Uh, the, the flip side to that, and this is really driven out of the research I did in, in my paper, um, is there's a good reason to believe that half measures um, sort of uh, that a lot of managers take do not add value. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, one of my conclusions is that it, there's not a uh, linear relationship between uh, the intensity of ESG efforts and financial performance, um, w w which is just another way of saying more ESG does not equal better performance necessarily. Um, I, so one of the conclusions there is doing something uh, not very well tends to lead to a uh, poorer result. That's not really a surprise. Uh, if you look at the survey data, I, I think one of the messages there is that a lot of uh, mainstream asset managers, especially in the U.S., have internalized that uh, calculus and have really decided we're going to go all in, we're going to do this. Um, and uh, uh, some of the data uh, that I, I show in my paper um, suggests somewhere between 10 and 20%, depending on how you evaluate them, uh, of the mainstream managers out there are full on in uh, doing ESG and using it to drive value. Uh, the flip side to that is maybe as much as 80% really are still at the starting gates and not doing anything. Um, that's a relatively small gap in, in between those two sets. Um, I, I think those folks have to think uh, pretty hard uh, that, that are in that, that gap. Um, are, are you in or are you out? Um, my message to the to the 80% who aren't doing a whole lot is uh, it, it is an area where you can drive value. I think folks are doing it really, really effectively. Uh, but if you're going to do it, it's worth doing well. So that, that takes a lot of upfront investment. Um, it takes a lot of forethought, a lot of planning. Uh, there's a lot of tools out there to help walk managers through that process. The PRI has been really great about coming out with position papers and guidance along those areas, uh, but it is a, a fairly big commitment. Uh, we think it's one worth taking. We are ourselves going through that process right now, um, but it is a long-term commitment and, and not something that you can just uh, flip a switch or hire a, a new head of ESG and expect to uh, take light overnight. Yeah, the Financial Times last week, the week before, had an article that was Actually, it's a little bit critical about the PRI, um, sort of pointing to the fact that uh, there is a contingent of laggards, uh, mainly managers who are signatories, and they are, quote, gaming it, um, call it greenwashing. Um, it might be difficult for you to say when you sort of do a survey of all the managers you've seen, but do you think that 
there is, you know, some cohort out there that actually is gaming it. So just statistically, I, I think the answer has to be yes, there are folks out mm. there who are gaming it. Uh, I would take a step back and ask, ask the question, what are their incentives? Why would somebody try to game the PRI like that? I, I, I think it's a pretty narrow opportunity set that they're looking at. Um, you know, for whose benefit would that be? I, there are some small pension plans out there, uh, and, and maybe family offices, I'm not sure, uh, that, that do have literally a check-the-box criteria. And if you can't check the box to say that you're a PRI signatory, you're not going to get their money. Um, for those asset owners, um, that's a pretty easy uh, criteria to game. Uh, for uh, the bigger asset owners and institutional investors out there, that there's no advantage uh, for an asset manager to uh, go through all the time and trouble in expense to sign up for the PRI, uh, to fill out your report every year if you're not really going to do anything about it. Um, uh, the, the other message I, I, I give is if, if you're somebody like, uh, like Harvard who's playing the long game, that there actually is some benefit to just paying lip service, at least initially, to a lot of these issues. So studies have shown that speaking positively about ESG and, and issues of uh, sustainability helps improve recruitment and employee morale, even if that doesn't lead to immediate changes in your uh, investment philosophy. Uh, th th that means you're recruiting people who care about these issues long term and are likely to be uh, agents of change in the long term. So if you're playing the long term game, Although there might be some, uh, there, there might not be early short-term benefits to some of these things. I, I think over time, folks do like to see incremental improvements. And there's the, the, the old um, adage, what gets measured uh, gets managed. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think over time, people like to see things managed well. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, while I think there's folks who are probably gaming the system, I, I, I think in the long run, some of them will become advocates. And that, that's probably all for the best. Right. Well, perfect. Look, this has been fascinating. It's been uh, great to hear about Harvard's approach to integrating sustainable investment practices and the wider considerations that endowment funds need to think about in this area. So I'd like to thank you for your time and your views. I'm Jason Mitchell, here today with Michael Capucci, Senior Vice President at Harvard Management Company. Many thanks for joining us on Perspectives Toward a Sustainable Future, and I hope you'll join us on our next podcast episode. Thanks. Thank you. You're listening to Perspectives Toward a Sustainable Future, a podcast about what we're doing today to build a more sustainable world tomorrow. I'm Jason Mitchell. Thanks for joining us. And special thanks to everyone that helped produce this show. To check out more episodes of this podcast, please visit us at man.com forward slash responsible dash investment or look for us on iTunes.